Welcome to Tilth Talk Radio. Today we're going to be talking about cover crop termination. Yeah, I know you just planted them, but spring will be here before you know it. we got to have a plan. In our spotlight, we'll be looking at some hybrid tillage tools. Ag History Minute, we'll talk about Veterans Day and agriculture. And Cool Beans, that's corny. We'll wrap things up with current events. So with me today are Bill Schomburg. Hey, guys. Max Garvey. What's up, everybody? Todd Schomburg. Hey to all the Tilthies out there. And I'm Matt Brueger, all with Tilth Agronomy. So we had our first Rogerless game in a while for the Packers this weekend. Jordan Love, not terrible. I mean, he had a few shining moments, but not great. Uh, couldn't couldn't get her done. But he played almost as well as Patrick Mahomes, which is more sad for Patrick Mahomes than it is bad for Jordan Love. I think, I think the Chiefs might be dead. Well, things aren't looking good. I think they might be dead. We always say like a win's a win and all that, but man, the Chiefs did look. Yeah, they, they look looked bad. tough. Yeah, I mean, when you're, they showed the stat line. I don't remember if it was at the end or near the end of the game, but like Jordan Love and Patrick Mahomes' stat lines were very close. It was exactly. at the end of the third quarter. They had like the same passer rating, yeah. right. which was crazy. I, I think teams have decided that they just played deep safeties so that they can't beat them over the top, and then Chiefs have no. They can't do anything else, basically. That's how they were winning before, was just throw it deep. Well, and, and, you know, if Jordan Love doesn't throw that pick on that touchdown drive, literally at any point, a, another touchdown and the Packers would have been ahead. Like, I, I was kind of disappointed in the run game because the Chiefs' run defense is very bad. It felt, it felt like, they aban- like they were doing good early on. And they abandoned it and too abandoned soon. Like, and then, yeah. Which yep. is like the exact opposite of what you want to do for a rookie when quarterback making their first right. start. I felt like we were clipping them pretty good, and then just it kind of just stopped. We got to get our special teams fixed. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, so that bad. was yeah. Like you had three plays that basically decided that game: the two field goals, and then whatever Taylor was doing on that punt. Like, what was he doing? Like where it hit his foot? Yeah, yeah. You just gave the Chiefs perfect opportunity like, there and the thing is like oh he got pushed and so he was falling and that's yeah but okay th- this is middle school football now stay away from, from the ball, the ball. Yeah, why is somebody why is he on the ground by the ball why yeah. is he yeah why is he even near he's not fielding the ball right it's that, not his job that's what i mean just get away from the ball yeah but the other thing that i don't like is amari rogers has basically told the organization I am not a punt returner. Do not let me return punts. And they keep going. Yeah, you're yeah, a punt returner. Yeah. You, you'll figure it out. I, you know, and he's not figuring why it they out. don't put Cobb back there. Like, he's, he's too a, old. No, but they're scared of hurting him. He's just as fast as Amari Rogers well, at many, this point. And how many he, times do they have Micah Hyde back there? Just catch the ball. Yeah, like you just need. Don't got to break him. one, but just catch it. M- Marcus Eversall said it this week on the radio. He said, "Remember when our biggest problem was we had negative punt return yards? Yeah, yeah. We don't even catch them right now. So." Yeah, things are not good on special teams. They're they're not so special. We're not really good on kick. I mean, punt return is what we've just focused on, but we're not very good on kick. We're not very good on kick return. We're not very good on field goal. Like we're just bad. Bad. Altogether, this game was not a a great prospect. With the fact that you look at, they picked up a new long snapper. They had this week basically to practice together, and obviously why, things were not well, jiving. Not why did they pick up a new snapper again? Does anybody know? <laughs> we no. don't know. Because I, I had, had heard Hunter Bradley, the, and he was a draft choice, correct? I had heard the long snap that they let go 
was getting the blame for Crosby's misses and Cincy. Oh, well. And that was their fix for the situation, which clearly didn't work. in the short term didn't work. We'll see how so, the long term plays so out. So Hunter Bradley and J.K. Scott were both draft picks, and we have since moved on from both of them. Yeah. Yep. That's how it goes. Specialist draft picks. But hey, Bjorkes is a really good punter. He's yeah, had he's, some um, he's amazing punts. Yeah. Think of how bad our special teams would be if we didn't have him. Right, right. Think how much more upset we would no, be. If we were yeah. like flopping 20 yard punts, and yeah, would not be great. Because he just bombs the ball. Yeah, he gets good hang time. He gets good distance. The one thing I was disappointed, though, was I don't know if it's on LeFleur or offensive coordinator, but they did not protect him on those blitzes. Like, they blitzed. I was looking at some stats. They blitzed 17 times out of his 34 dropbacks. They they blitzed them. You're saying more than four guys rushing. Yeah, and several times there was seven guys blitzing, like or seven guys rushing. Like somehow you gotta like that was roll the chief whole game plan. Yeah, like roll them out. Big yeah. blitzes a lot already. So yeah, they had to know that going knew. into the game they, that their decorated blitzes a lot. I, I couldn't get over them sending Mercedes Lewis out there with the blitz coming and not having them block or like roll them out or. Have a play designed to go to a running back, and, or and Aaron a Jones is slant. a pretty good two at staying back and helping, but not when they bring that many guys. No. You can't. Like, yeah, you, you need, can't. You're just going to get need, in the way at that. You point. You need some yeah. more quick stuff. And do we need? Is Bob Tanyan big that big of a deal? No, not Bob, be in there. Bob Tanyan's a very poor blocker. He is, but you could just dump it over the blitz right behind him, well, couldn't you? What I didn't understand is they were bringing seven guys and they kept sending Mercedes Lewis out and having him run routes. Yeah, what are we doing? Like. Why are why why is that guy the sixteen year vet who was brought in here to block? Why is he running little dig routes every play instead of sure. giving us some protection? Right. I will say though, I mean, he hasn't had amazing production in this season, but I am glad Randall Cobb is back because yeah, yeah, he had a couple plays in this game, especially that one where his yards after catch, like he was like, "Yep, nope, I'm getting this first down." It, and it's the savvy vet stuff that he does right. that pay. It's not the he's not Tyreek Hill going over the top. He's not you know going across the middle and making these huge catches. But it's the savvy vet get out of bounds, get the extra yard you need, do whatever it takes to just be positive when we need it to. That really, and you can't coach that. I mean, that's no, nine, that's, ten years in the league, and. Yeah. So you kind of shore up like half of those blitzes, and maybe the game's a little different. Maybe it's not, but you got to do better than that. I have a hard time believing it's not different if we can take the a little bit of steam, steam off the blitz. Well, Even he, five plays would have been blocked like, better. Like, where's a draw he, or a screen or something? Like I said before. Like, isn't that a blitz breaker? That's what you do? Like, let him go, and we'll pop it right over top of you. I think they tried it a couple times, and he couldn't seem to get it. Get it over in the right spot. But look at that, too. Bakhtiari was still out, yeah. who they've activated now. But our line yeah, but still, too, is in rough shape. Like right. It's not all So you've got a, a new starting quarterback plus your line that isn't quite all shored up yet. Our line's played really well. Oh, but it's really still, And they said Bakhtiari probably still won't play this week. Or uh, They so only they activated just, him because if they didn't activate him when they did, he's yeah. done for the year. Okay, yeah. have to stay so sure. just because he's yeah, activated doesn't mean he's going to play. He might play. I mean, I, it's it's still been ten and a half months. He's still not at that year mark. I have a hard time believing that he's going to play if Aaron Rodgers doesn't play. Right, and there is a chance that Aaron Rodgers does not play. Yeah, that is a possibility. So, did you guys listen on the radio or on? Because they had a very good nickname on the radio for Jordan Love. What was it? Larry V. It was. 
was mainly Larry V. Call, but they either called him J Love or yeah, that's right. I did hear. Yeah, J Love or J Lo. J Lo. I thought J Lo was weird because you think of Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, I do remember calling him J Love because the first part of the game I was outside yeah. and then I went in and watched the rest of it. But yeah, I do remember him saying that. I will say the long and the, the long and the short of this is Jordan Love didn't play great, didn't play bad. I think he did plenty fine for the help he was given because he wasn't given a whole lot. Yeah, they were in it. I mean, between the defense and, you know, a couple of those drives, they got stuff together and were able to march down the field. I mean, if we would have had those two field goals, that's a tie game at that point. So it was not a a complete blowout by any means. And you don't give up that punt, whatever that was, so that they kicked a field goal on that. So there's nine points there that special teams costed you. Yep. You win the game at that point. Yep. So, but we all can agree, right? If you're comparing love today to what Rogers is today, you're a moron, right? I mean, that's right. That's people are actually doing that. Yeah. Well, no duh. Aaron Rodgers is better than Jordan Love is today. Right. No. But okay. You want to go back and look at Rogers stat lines from his first starts? Right. Not good. They're not very good. No. I remember so, when he was a bust. You hear that bantering around like, oh, it's, he's not as good as Rogers. Well, no you're one, a moron. No one should be expecting it, him to be as good as Rodgers. In fact, there's no one in the league last year who was as good as Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. So right. let's just maybe pump the brakes on that a little bit. But he was as good as a previous MVP, not last year's MVP. But. Right. It's yep. true. That is true. It's cool. All right. And then the other big news was some people were expecting OBJ to come to, to Titletown here, but he chose L.A. I don't think he ever was coming here. I think he was using us like everyone else does as a pawn to get more Like the J.J. Watt situation and all that, yeah. Oh, yeah. My thought was this. He's not coming here. If he does, maybe he truly wants to be better because we had offered him veterans minimum. So if he was willing to come play in a cold weather city for veterans minimum, maybe he was truly over some of his diva, but I wasn't really holding my breath for it. It, I think it would have been cool to have him because I would love to see someone try and cover him and Devontae Adams at the same time, but... I was more excited to get him, or I would have had more excitement for him than I would have had if we would have got uh, J.J. Watt. And it wasn't close. Well, J.J. Watt's always hurt. So For Odell Beckham? I would have been way more excited yeah. for OBJ than J.J. Watt. just because it's recent. I, no, it's he, because Odell OBJ Be- plays. Uh, but he, yeah, like, but he has he really done anything besides that really one awesome catch and he had a really good rookie year? Like, he's... It'll be interesting on a new team and a better team, like what he does. I think it'll be good, but if he and Stafford can make a connection, yeah. part of it, part of it is you think he hasn't done that much because his last three years at the Browns, but he was, had a torn ACL, yeah. so he didn't play. And the Browns aren't the Browns are not a high flying team, even without him. They are not a they throw run, the ball. Yeah, they run. They're with, not set up for it. Play defense, run the ball. So you bring him to an offense that's made to zing the ball around. I think he will be better. I think he's gonna kind of have a little bit of resurgence here with if Stafford. He, if he gets fed the ball enough. If he doesn't, yeah. he's going to go back to the same crap and everybody's yep. going to hate him. Oh, we know he can throw the ball too, so if and Stafford goes down, then maybe they'll, he'll be their backup. <laughs> and they'll just come to Lambeau in January and lose like they did last year. Yeah. All right, you guys ready to talk some cover crop termination? Let's terminate it. All right. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be right back. I'll be back. So your cover crops, yeah, I know. We just planted them, but they'll be back. At least depending on what you, what species you planted, they'll be back in the spring. 
So it's never too early to think about what's the plan for termination. What are we going to do? So like we discussed last week, chemical options might be limited. And if nothing else, they'll be more expensive. So what are alternatives to just spraying off your cover crops? So, I mean, ideally, in most years, we just give them a shot of Roundup or, you know, some kind of burn down and plant into them or, you know, we do that either before or after. But, you know, chemicals can be hard to find and expensive. Maybe we have to think outside the box a little bit on this one. So the first one, it's too late now for this, but if, depending on what you planted, if you plant a cover that doesn't overwinter, then you no issues with termination because it's probably not going to be back. A few things like annual ryegrass aren't supposed to come through and sometimes do, but it's patchy uh, unless we get a really mild winter again. So the pro is no need to terminate. You don't have to worry about making chemical pass or anything else. We have had some make it through and you wouldn't think they would even like radishes and some of those when you get a real mild winter, a good snow cover. But in general, if you don't think it's going to make it, it, usually go you know oats barley those work really good to have a nice you know get green in the fall and then those roots are still there in the spring to hold some of the soil but they die back and you don't got to worry about termination which is really nice yeah how much italian italian annual either one of those species made it through last winter like everything i I think everything survived last winter (laughs) there was a lot of stuff we had radishes that didn't really die which is unusual yeah the arg didn't italian didn't um, con is like Todd said, there's still roots there, but you know, you're limiting your, um, protection or like in this case of tillage radish, usually they're pretty much gone. So you have no protection then against your spring erosion. Um, Matt, I never heard ARG before. You've never heard annual ryegrass called ARG? No. Well, there you go. You know, nope. you learned something today. Is that like OBJ? It must be. <laughs> I'm now going to refer to you as ARG every time ARG. I talk about it. I can it. tell Matt sent a lot of emails discussing annual writer. <laughs> yeah. Because he <laughs> didn't want to type it all out. Because he yeah. uses getting an acronym si- for it. Getting sick of it, yeah. That's why the government uses all those acronyms. <laughs> they don't want to type it out every time. So, yeah, if you're in that boat, then you're probably in pretty good shape. Your termination plan is just hoping it doesn't overwinter and... Like I said, most of the time it doesn't. We'll see what kind of winter we get. Last year we had overall just a pretty mild winter, so we had a lot more survival um, than was expected, but that's not going to happen every year. Uh, option two, tillage. So we're going to have the potential to go in and just work things up in the spring. Um, so pro is that you don't need chemical there necessarily, um, but you can spray. I mean, you could do spray and tillage as a combination, but if you can't find the chemical, then you can still work it under. The con there is you're disturbing the soil, so breaking up that structure. Um, you know, it's not going to work in a no-till system, so it depends on what your your long-term plans are for the field. Um, you're going to break up that structure and have, potentially have some issues there. Would, this this is what I've been questioning lately is, is it... If before cover crops, you had tillage in your process and you're trying to go to maybe less tillage or different tillage. Yep. But I still feel if you had tillage before and you add cover crops, don't feel bad about still doing that tillage because you're most time used to it. And you don't want, you kind of want to take baby steps before you take that big leap. Yep. But I've always struggled with that one of like, oh, you know, we don't need a till it. We'll just spray it or plant it green or whatever. And I've had really good luck of tillage termination in the spring 
you know, with a turbo till or a, some sort of vertical till tool or a disc. Um, just really seems to work well. I'm gonna I'm gonna say the exact opposite of you, Todd. Is that it feels a lot of times I get asked questions like, "Well, if we start planting cover crops, do we have to be no-till?" And the answer is no. You you definitely don't have to, but it seems like most people once they start with cover crops, no-till just kind of follows the. It just it seems counterproductive at times to work it, you know, when you when you do when you are using cover crops, um, but. I guess it works. It works. It's just like Matt pointed out before, it feels somewhat counterintuitive because you're, you know, we're working on that soil structure. We're trying to build this up and we planted these cover crops. We're going to help it. And then it It sounds like Max, you feel like you're cheating on the soil. (laughs) Like I'm planting a cover crop. I'm making it all feel good. And then I'm going to just rip your heart out. And it's, it's like putting a bulletproof vest on to shoot yourself. Like it doesn't make any sense. Like you're just, it, to me, it feels kind of backwards. Like you're just, Working against your, yeah, you're you're hitting the gas and the brake at the same time. I guess. Yeah. Like Do you think size matters of the cover of crop tillage or <laughs> your cover crop of the cover crop? Like the bigger. Yeah, I think it does. The taller think, the cover crop, the more tillage, or the opposite. I, because when it gets too tall, then you have problems. Like so I was getting some stuff and... last spring that was getting that twelve inches tall, and it was kind of past that point where we were going to really no till into it and it was thick and so we just turboed it once you know real light and it was kind of lumpy but it still planted nice because it was mellow and that worked really really well that's the that the way you just said right there that's the part where what i'm talking about about working it with cover crops because i love when you know you hear yeah, we worked up that cover crop. It was super I, nice and mellow and you're like yeah you're using my words against me on my soybean thing where it's <laughs> mellow why did we work it yep no, but that maybe I'm, maybe it's how your planter's set up too. Yeah, if your corn planter is set up to yeah. do and handle that, well, and, and and this one wasn't. So, like you said, it's not right or wrong to work it. It just generally, so I feel like you feel counterproductive, yeah. but it definitely has its place, and it definitely is the right option sometimes. Yeah, it Although, all it all depends on what your long term goals are. Um, if your no till doesn't necessarily mean never till. I yes, mean, there, there's a difference there. And um, I think you know it, it depends on your your options. Like Todd said, size does matter of the cover crop, how big it gets. You're gonna get more lumps, different species, how thick of a population you have of your cover crop. You know, yeah, I think population and species has a yeah. lot to do with that. Because right. if it's tall and it's you know rye at like winter rye at like twenty pounds, that's different than winter rye at a hundred pounds. Right, right. On and Planted. working in. You know, hey, we got a really good mat of radishes and oats last fall, and we just we think it's too much. We got to work through it once, or we're not going to be able to plant. That's way different than working through fifty pounds of rye that's mm-hmm. greened yep. back up. I mean, yeah. those are two like completely different worlds to achieve the same thing. Absolutely. So again, depending on your you know your long term goals, that's an option. Uh, third, we have harvest. So you can, if you're planting at a high, higher population. And you're looking to harvest it. The pro is you get the extra feed. Uh, the downside is you might get regrowth after you harvest. So depending on your plan, I mean, obviously, I think when we're talking about termination here, we're not saying you're not going to do your normal chemical program. So depending on what you're you're looking at doing for a spray program, that may not even be an issue because you're planning on doing a burn down anyway. But it's it's saving that extra chemical pass 
um, by taking that off. And if you've got the animals, why not give them some, some extra feed? It's great heifer feed. Um, you could take it for quality. You know, requires a little bit more planning and timing, but it is an option out there for using that cover crop in a different way. This would have been a really good tool to use last year, and I don't think we utilized it as much as we could have. We had a lot of really tall, nasty rye that didn't mm-hmm. want to die, and I hindsight twenty twenty, a cutting would have been a really good idea in a lot of places because it was it, it was difficult to work with at times. And it's so hard because nowadays with all these dairies sending heifers elsewhere, like we all have dairies that don't have any young stock on the farm, and yep. it's like, well, we really don't need this. So, but you really should take it, and, and it, it has value, right? I mean. And you make the argument of, okay, you know, planting is good now. I can plant it green and it might be difficult, but if we're going to cut it, it's going to be four days before I can plant it. Yeah. That's another four days off my planting. And yep. it's, that's where, that's where I struggled last year a lot was just, we don't care. We don't want to take the time. Like we want to get it in the ground now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this, this whole thing is a moving target, right? I mean, it's every farm is different. Every yep. soil is different. It just, you got to talk it through with your advisors that you deal with. And make the best decision, like we do always, make the best decision when you have that opportunity to make it. Like we try to do always. We try to do yeah, always. We always yeah. try to, yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, f- fourth, we've got planting green. So that's um, where Max said, you know, if you're worried about your timing, just plant into it. And I, I agree with Max on this, and I would say make sure to your ride doesn't get too tall. Yep. When you're doing it, and when I say too tall, would you guys agree over 12 inches, like a foot? The, the, I think really the number is like 16 inches. Yeah. But when it gets over 12, yeah. it goes to 16. <laughs> like, are, are you talking ready. corn or beans? Because that... Good, just corn. I'm okay, talking so corn. just for corn, yeah. Be- corn, beans, I beans, I don't know that there is a height on you're, beans that it, would matter what the right. You're right. It's 12 inches. It's really, I think, when we started to really see the issues last year was when it was up around that 16 to 18. Good. But... When it's at twelve, and you say plant, by the time you actually plant, it's sixteen. Is yeah. it, it? It hits that that twelve inch mark, and it's it just snaps it, two inches a day. Yeah, because Max and I work enough south of here, and that that's where my problem lies. Is it, it you you got that planting window, and it's like oh, it's you know, in six inches this week, and then not ready to plant, not ready to plant for maybe that ten days, and all of a sudden it's getting too tall on you, and you got to try to sort of decide what the right move is and how to handle it. Basically, once you move past the vegetative stages, correct. That's, that's when you're, you're in trouble. Right. It's a, it's moving can, into the reproductive stages. Yeah, when you start moving into rye. those R stages, which and and that's when the compounds, the amount of carbon that you have to deal with, and yep, your corn struggles because of that. So it's not necessarily a size thing. It's a it's an it's a biomass part that right. really hurts you. But I will say the most mellow ground I had last year was planted green. I think we got to force that one home as we always thought, okay, let's spray it so that it dies and then you plant into that. But it always seems when you do that, that that soil does get kind of hard, kind of like when you take it for harvest, Mm -hmm. how that soil just kind of hardens off after you harvest. Like even in a hay field, you've seen that, right? After you harvest, that soil is just really tight. Well, it's it's exposed to sunlight and the wind and every all the elements, whereas you have that green cover there. It's kind of protecting it and keeping the dew and everything in the soil but that's one also thing to think about is planting if you're going to plant green maybe you do plant you know only 20 pounds of rye or real low rate so that you can get in there and it's not so thick it's 
you know, then then your biggest parameter watch is height. And and I think one of the big decisions that goes right into this kind of area is you got to decide if you're going to plant green or plant dead. You can't plant halfway because in yep. the middle there you run into a lot it's of the middle, like that that stage where the rye is kind of dead and it's slimy and wraps really bad. Yeah, and okay. You know what I'm talking about where it's half dead and it just is when it's dead and brown, you, you know, the planter works right through it. No big deal. When it's green, the yeah. planter works right through it. No big deal. When it's in that middle stage, it wraps and binds and it's kind of like a big j- junk mess. Next, what would you do next spring? It's getting to that 16 inch point. What do you do? Uh, plant it, plant it and spray it the same day. Cause it, if okay, it's, what if it's hitting 20 inch, I guess? What if it's past that? Cut it. Cut it and get a shorter day corn. <laughs> I think, honestly, just what I saw this last year, I mean, if we get dry like we did, it's kind it, of a disaster. Well, it takes inch. a lot. You're Max, right, Max. Sitting on the, it depends on your, your weather and what you're going to get for a year. It's gonna, as we've had up in Door County, there was a farm that had really tall rye. They planted into it. They meant to kill it earlier, just couldn't get in there and... Sprayed it down and it looked rough to begin with, but by the end of the season it was, you know, it came out fine. So it's all going to depend on the kind of weather you get. This last year, I had some fields we planted green, we sprayed it. Temperatures were going up and down. We had the cold, the cold come in, the frost, just didn't get stuff dying for three weeks, and it caused all sorts of problems. So I think. Matt's Matt's hitting the nail on the head here is that the year you're having makes a huge difference. I think, honestly, if we were going into a 20-inch tall rye and it was wet, like back to 2018-19, I'm probably saying some of it we should just leave and take for forage because we're going to struggle for forage at the end of this year. Well, and those living plants are going to help take some of that moisture out of the ground. So they they helped you get in the field in the first place, and they're going to keep kind of pumping out that moisture when you've got the excess, so... You know, it's sometimes it's just shooting from the hip a little bit. That's my biggest struggle with rye is that 16, 18 inches where it gets too tall and shades. But it's and not so really it's tall enough for a cutting. So it's taking moisture out, but it's shading and it's, right. you know. It's that competition it, aspect. So That's the con side is I, it becomes like a weed. It's suppressing other weeds, but it's, it's in itself weed. sometimes being a weed. I, I think it's always good to tell farmers when this is a work in progress and we're still sort of, I wouldn't call it quote unquote research, but we're trying to figure it out and that is the holy grail of figuring out how to deal with too tall rye or or you know what your goals are with that and that's why maybe starting with something like you said in number 1 that plant a cover crop that doesn't overwinter potentially might be a place to start and then you learn how to deal with rye later i remember you and i talking this last spring that we were having a lot of the same issues with some of the rye termination um and so if I have to answer your question that you asked me before about what I would do, if I have to go back to last spring and change something, I probably take a cutting and buy, get some shorter day corn. And, and mine that got that too tall where we dissed it or worked it under it, it worked. The corn looked great. I mean, it worked. So it, and how much gonna, I'm working on the premise that we're keeping our no-till. That's and, the only thing. But, and how much of that though, Todd was, we had such a cold period that, you got some exposed soil, maybe warm that ground up a little bit, and that corn was able to to do better. Whereas if you keep it green, the soil does stay cooler, which is okay, but that corn struggles then. And the the rye probably takes off because it's a cool season grass, so it's it's going and but the corn's it, and, doing nothing. And that was early season the corn did well, where we tilled it. Late season the corn did really well, where we didn't till right. it. Yep. So it, you're trying it to... it didn't rain. Right. 
re- really well, and the soil was real, really nice. It was probably some of the most beautiful soil I've seen. So you got that sort of trade-off that you got to watch it depending when you're putting on yield. And remember, the cob is determined, you know, at knee height. Knee high corn, you determine how many kernels around and test weights later and that kind of stuff. But you know your different parameters too are going to change because of that. All right, and then our <clears throat> other option would be some form of other mechanical termination. Most common would be roller crimping, um, and that's where, um, like Todd said, with soybeans, we we see that a lot. Um, you get some weed suppression. You can let the rye go to to anthesis to pollination. Knock it down, and anybody try that this year? Yep, we had some max. Had some. Very, very poor luck. When honestly. did you roll it? Um, we rolled it. How tall was the rye when you rolled it? How tall or where were we in stage? Um, both, because it was relatively short. Yeah, for rye, but we were right at anthesis. Oh, were you? Yeah, we should have been right on the money. I, I, I called our resident roller crimping expert Matt, <laughs> and have him had him give me a, a you know I I understand the concept, but Matt. Matt's done it quite a few times now with some of these demo farms and stuff, and I wanted to make sure I was on. We were doing it in So when you too. said it was short, what was it at your head or waist or what? No, nah, it was probably 20 inches maybe. Oh, wow. It was kind of short, kind of crappy rye. Crappy. Didn't do as good as the rest of the stuff. Because I had a farm do like a side-by-side trial on a bunch of different things, and he planted one strip was he planted early, and then he rolled at like 18, 20 inches, which you'd think like, that's not just going to bounce right back. We ended up spraying it, which killed it, but it stayed down relatively good. Um, that actually yielded a pretty good. The stuff we did, like at Anthesis, that rye got above our heads, and the problem there was it just didn't rain. I mean, and, and like the, the rye took out so much moisture. Anthesis is the goal, yeah. right? That's the optimal timing for the rye, so that's kind of what we looked for. Um, it it just didn't. We were, I would say, we were under fifty percent efficacy. With the roller crimper, so we ended up spraying two. It yielded in the end okay. Beans went about 65 bushels, so it was okay. Um, but it's disappointing that we had to, you know, the, the plan was not. to roller crimp and not have to spray and, and you know, in a water hemp heavy area. Yeah. Um, we thought it would really help. It did help keep the water hemp down a little bit. Um, it's funny you say spray because this same farmer did rolling crimping at Anthesis and half the plot he sprayed and um, it was clean. Rob, but I was surprised how much ragweed and other crap foxtail came in the rye that he didn't that he rolled at anthesis and didn't spray. I was surprised how much weeds did come. But I think when you when we look at roller crimping, you got to look at how how well the field established too. You're always mm-hmm. going to have those thinner spots, True. and that's usually where you're going to see those escapes. Is because if you have a nice solid mat, I had one demo farm do like a basically a four bushel to the acre planting rate of rye so it was thick. That's thick and you know outside of any thin areas where like along a headland or something the little bit of the test plot he did there was areas with absolutely nothing and then there was those spots where there was open soil you know that got that like sunlight. maybe a wet spot or something where some yep like yeah. the corn one the drill the shut road. off a little early you know or yeah where spots. it was a little uh, bit more yeah. I'd agree. Those spots in my field were thicker, but it's still overall the whole plot that wasn't sprayed. I was expecting more, I guess, so, out sure. of the rye. So my problem where we had issues, that was um, broadcast and turbo-tilled last fall. Um, so the the stand was 
good. It was solid. I mean, I, I bet you it was solid enough that we could have taken a cutting if we really wanted to, um, but definitely somewhat inconsistent, mm-hmm. more holes. Um, some of the research I did find when we were trying to figure out why it didn't quite work as well um, was out of Cornell, I believe, and they actually think that there is some um, there's some relation between variety and roller crimping termination. So certain varieties, the way their stems work, have have more susceptibility to roller crimping working. And it was relatively new studies and not anything super. Um, the variety of rye, or yeah, the, okay. yep. not not beans. No, or no, corn the, var- the variety of rye. Ter- Some ryes kill better by crimping. Yeah, than so others. it was first sense. year research. So I mean, it was pretty ground level stuff. Um, and I'd be happy to. I'm excited to see what it they come up with again. Mm-hmm. I think it sounded like they're going to continue that. So that was pretty cool. I think part of it too depends on planting date a little bit with how consistent of a stand you get. We had yep. some real inconsistencies this year in some of our rye stands where most of it would be an, at anthesis, but then you'd have some that were a yeah. little bit shorter, and those are the ones that are going to stand up. I, I, think, I think even the weather, the day you do your roller crimping can make a huge difference. You know, on a cooler day, everything is a little bit more brittle, a little bit more solid. And if it's kind of warm and humid and and that, which is we roller crimped when it was a little bit warmer and humid and everything's got a little bit more bend (laughs) to it. That goes back to the old timers that used to uh, apply anhydrous. And when it got later in the the season, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we got to make sure we get to that tall field. When it's really hot because the corn is more flexible and yep. it won't crack off on the anhydrous toolbar. So there is something to that. Yeah. We, we talk about it when the um, I was talking with the sprayer guy and he said when he does fungicide, some of it's really tall. And it you can tell like when he does the first couple fields in the morning when they're still kind of brittle from the cool overnight or not brittle, but more there's more to them. He says you can really feel them like you snap a couple here and there. And he said, but then by when you're spraying it at three, four o'clock when it's 85 and and humid, he's like everything just kind of floppy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So those are some options for termination outside of using chemical for the spring. Uh, you can mix and match depending on what fits your operation. So planting green and roller crimping can go together. Um, you know, harvesting and tillage can go together. Sometimes you just got to work it up a little bit if you're getting... Um, we've had that happen with certain fields where the rye you just can't get in the ground with a planter and rather than risk your your corn crop sometimes you got to go in and and soften it up a little bit or break it up with some vertical tillage Um, important thing is to have plan a and maybe even plan b for the spring um, because we know this spring's potentially going to continue in the complications we've seen this year so have the equipment ready over winter be nice to your neighbor that you might end up be borrowing maybe some of the specialized equipment from um, but just kind of keep that stuff in the back of your mind as you're going through winter about, you know, if I can't get Roundup or I can't get Gramoxone or I can't get my chemical program exactly the way I want it, what else can I do? I don't so. think many are getting Gramoxone. No. No. <laughs> Not with all the Parkinson's commercials I'm seeing every... <laughs> There's a lot of those. Oh, right man. Yeah, it went away from Roundup heavy to now. Yeah, yeah. now Gramoxone's getting Gramoxone, hammered, yeah. yeah. There's even like a, the Boy a full 30-minute like infomercial on. Really? Yeah, like late night. It's like, what is this? And yeah, yeah. it's a full 30-minute. Like, yeah, I woke up you... to that one night. Like, you no, know, like the, like the like 1 o'clock in the morning infomercial. Yeah. All right. So there you go. There's some options for you for termination of cover crops. Now we'll move into our spotlight for today.
So we've talked a number of times on the podcast, and um, you know, I think it's a it's a constant thing, thinking by farmers of like, what can I do? I I wish I just had one machine that would do it all, um, and it never seems to work out that way. You know, we don't need a deep rip all the time. We don't need to chisel plow all the time. So what you know, what options do we have as ways of you know having something that's going to do have more than one use on the farm? Um, you know, we, we can do it with planters, you know, you can get plates for soy, soybeans for your corn planter, you know, there's options to get your piece of equipment to do more than one thing. So what, what about tillage? Why, why haven't we found that magic yet? Um, and so many companies have introduced some adjustable and evolved, quote unquote, tillage tools. So that's what this particular article I found was looking at. So guide to hybrid tillage tools. The hybrid tillage is the holy grail of tillage, according to Kurt Davis, the marketing director for Kuhn Kraus. Farmers want to incorporate heavier residues and level minor ruts after harvest and then use the same machine for vertical tillage in the spring to prepare the seed bed. So they've got some examples here. So there's the Great Plains Manufacturing Terramax HT1100. It's got fluted, slightly concave turbo speed discs on two gangs that can be hydraulically adjusted from the cab. The gang adjusts from 0 to 8 degrees, and the second gang from 0 to 6 degrees. So a lot of vertical till it seems that's the the way of you know adjusting how aggressive your tillage is by having those um, degree marker adjustments. Some, some go to 0, and I know a lot of um, you know, if you're going to use vertical tillage and you're you're leaning towards that more of a no-till or minimum till system, the closer you can be to zero, a lot of, there's a lot of support for that. Um, whereas the further away from zero you get, the more aggressive it, it tends to get. So, Those are interesting playing with that part of the tool because at zero it, it was almost like, well, why are we even doing this? And at full-on aggressive, you know, it was like, well, geez, yeah, you might as well have a, Too much know, a, aggressivity. Disc, a disc out there. Right. So it was, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of that, but it all almost too makes it, you have so many options that you don't know. You have so many adjustments that you don't really know how to adjust it and when. And I, I think a lot of these tools do a good enough job and, and can achieve what we're trying to achieve. What I keep running into as an issue is finding something to pull it. These are heavy. Yep. There is a lot of discs. These take. I mean, to run a, you know, to run a a, a twelve foot uh, field cultivator, you need a hundred horsepower. Say, to run a twelve foot vertical till, you need like two fifty. It's insane how much horsepower they take, and that's that's where I think really because now you're talking, you know, any of these smaller guys who are only running three hundred acres, you know, they want to try it, but they probably don't have a tractor to pull it, honestly. Right. So that that's where it, that's where it gets, starts to get really you difficult. Throw the- and on the, I didn't see it on your list map, but that Dangleman, uh, Dangleman Pro Till. I mean, I got yep. several guys that run one of those, and they all have articulate like four hundred, five hundred horse tractors right. on there. And here's 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 the issue with that, right? This whole thing is, you know, we're going to limit compaction and all this stuff. You start pulling your tillage equipment with an articulate, <laughs> you're putting some weight out That's there. A lot yeah. of weight, yeah. yeah. So. I just, I, I don't know. That's my, but I don't know what they're going to do to make them lighter or they drag less. Well, the discs are going to drag. That's right. the way a disc works. Yeah. So on your list here, Matt, I do like the accelerator a lot. Yeah. I was going to say, there's also the Case IH True Tandem, the Kuhn Krauss Accelerator, Salford. I've, 
4200, that one I haven't seen in this area. I don't know if that's specific to a certain region. And John Deere's 2660 VT um, all have different adjustments when it comes to a lot of this, different running speeds. Uh, the accelerator is, yeah, a nice one too, Bill. I like that one. What I liked about it was in heavy corn stalks, if you're looking to get those stalks incorporated and sized and chopped up, it does a really, really good job of that. And I think, like Todd was mentioning before, when you get closer to zero that you're just sizing the residue, then the more aggressive you go, then you're starting to incorporate it and, and bury a little bit more. I was... um. The actual the McFarland Cobra was one of the ones I was reading the horsepower specs on, and that was a pretty insi- that one must be really really heavy because that one took a lot of horsepower to run, um, and I would say it was average. I wouldn't say it was anything great in the field. I had really good luck with the uh, the Kinsey. Is it Mocktail? Is that what they call theirs? Um, I had really good luck with that in the last couple of years. Um, it did a nice job. So a lot of these are basically just providing that ability to change those angles, um, the hydraulic controls to you know adjust your depth. And then the John Deere at the end there also has the ability to do prescription maps that allow you to um, incorporate your residue more in a high-yielding area versus you know stepping back in a lower-yielding area. So they're, they're coming up with a lot, of, That's a lot cool. of adjustments, yeah, that you can put on these pieces of equipment. To really just instead of having a stationary disc that it's going to run the same in every field, you know, you can change depending on field conditions. You can change depending on, um, you know, what your goals are as far as like we talked about before. Are you just sizing residue, or are you looking for actual incorporation? So yeah, now we'll move into our egg history minute. Love that banjo. All right. Today, uh, since yesterday was Veterans Day, we're going to talk about Veterans Day and how it ties into agriculture. So Veterans Day was originally known as Armistice, Armistice Day it's in remembrance of the formal decla- declaration to the end of the war in World War I on the 11th hour, the 11th day, the 11th month in 1918. A year later, President Woodrow Wilson asked Americans to remember the laying down of arms between the previously battling countries, which is where it also got the name Remembrance Day as well as Armistice Day. After World War II ended in 1945, Raymond Weeks, a veteran from Birmingham, Alabama, led a delegation of local survivors of the recently ended military action in a service that November 11th, on November 11th to join those remembering Armistice Day. In 1947, the delegation approached General Dwight D. Eisenhower to encourage national remembrance services for the veterans of both world wars. Eisenhower liked that idea. By 1954, the suggestion took hold in Congress when a bill was proposed by Representative Ed Rees of Kansas, which was approved by Congress, and signed into law by his fellow uh, Kansan, then-President Dwight D. Eisenhower. November 11th was officially then renamed Veterans Day. Both Rees and Eisenhower had farming roots. Rees was born to parents who farmed near Emporia, Kansas, and Eisenhower was born in Denison, Texas, to parents whose ancestors had emigrated from Germany to the U.S. to acquire farmland. 
From the Revolutionary War to present day, America's military men and women have disproportionately originated from rural and agricultural backgrounds. 44% of the military today, when only 17% of Americans reside in rural areas, according to a 2020 report from the U.S. Department of Defense. Also, according to the Defense Department, rural recruits, especially those with farm backgrounds, are likely to become good soldiers because these recruits, both male and female, tend to tolerate adversity well, possess many practical skills, and are comfortable with the rigors of a demanding lifestyle, respond readily to training, and willingly choose military careers for at least part of their lives. So we thank all those men and women who have served in the armed forces and hope that you do too. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to all our listeners out there. Please subscribe to the podcast. And our bigger ask is tell a farmer friend. So, Max, you're going to be like, hey, farmer friend, do you want to listen to a podcast? No, no tengo amigos. <laughs> we don't have a Spanish version yet. Do I don't we? have friends. Okay. That's, that's oh, what I mean. that's a Por qué? That's how you get out of explaining what your friends are like in Spanish well, class. This isn't even... Because okay. you don't have any... Maybe, maybe we got to tell them to tell their farmer enemies about this. Right. Like, tell anybody. Just, yeah, tell, just tell everybody. People. Tell everybody who will listen. <laughs> or people who don't want to listen. We'll get you maybe a magnet for your window. Ooh, that sounds like a deal, Matt. So it, they're going to say, how do I listen to a podcast? You can download on your Android phone, Podcast Addict, Podbean, or Player FM... And on Apple Phone, it's even easier. It's just called Apple Podcasts on your Apple Phone and search Tilth Talk Radio. On your computer smartphone, computer or smartphone browser, you can go to tilthegg.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Tilth Talk Radio. All right. Now let's wrap things up with some current events. So cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Cool beans. Our cool beans this week. The U.S. is going to allow pork plants to operate faster in a one-year trial program. So the U.S. Department of Agriculture said on Wednesday that nine pork plants can apply to operate faster processing line speeds under a one-year trial after a federal judge in March struck down a Trump-era rule that removed line speed limits. Faster slaughtering will help meat companies like WH Group Smithfield Foods and JBS USA Boost pork production at a time when strong demand and high bacon prices. So companies and others like Hormel Foods are eligible to apply to the free trial program or to the trial program because they were previously able to accelerate processing under the earlier rule. So it's one one way to limit supply shortages if they can safely operate faster, then we can get more supply to the market. So, in our That's Corny This Week, crop production costs are on the rise. Farmer optimism is dropping, according to the Ag Barometer. So, the expectation of higher input costs for 2022 is sending U.S. producer sentiment lower for a third month in a row. The Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer recorded a drop in producer sentiment in October, down three points to a reading of 121. The barometer reads how farmers feel about current and future ag economic conditions. Index of current conditions was down five points, while the index of future expectations fell two points. So everything seems to be trending lower, unfortunately, when it comes to 
do you guys think it's the optimism. high everything high except prices? for prices are trending well, lower right well and yeah I don't even know if it's the high. I mean, high prices are always bad, but it's also like the uncertainty of it. Right. Like not it's this sort of like, that's what, well, not if, knowing when if to you buy. Don't, yeah. And if, if you don't buy it now, you might never get it. What? Well, never get it's a big deal. So it's it's not even like paying a high price. It's also like, well, I'm kind of held hostage that I either pay a high price now. And if I wait six rooms from now, I might still high pri- pay a high price more. and might not be able to get it. Right. Yeah. Like, he, Here's the thing, though, that you're drink, you're drinking the Kool Aid on well, this, and I want you to I want you to stop drinking the Kool Aid. Okay, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you pay now or pay later. If you're not the number one priority on the list, you're not going you to get it. Get it does not matter if you prepay. If there's someone who's more important to you, bigger account, I, you're not no, going to get it. So some of the smaller no, re, guys have been re, nervous well, about and that. Relationships and matter with your yeah. current system yep. person. Yep. That matters. They're doing that's happening. We're going to service our normal clients, and if you're a client that jumps around. Sorry, gonna, yeah, yep. they're gonna turn turn that shoulder to you. Unfortunately, I, I just I had a couple you know guys who are I would say not huge priorities. They were real nervous. Like they told me I'm not gonna get it if I don't prepay. And I said, if there's a, truly a shortage, it's not gonna matter if you prepay or not. If you're not the priority, that's what it that's what it comes down to. And it's kind of a tough conversation to have. But at this point, I'm almost thinking you wait six months, and I can't imagine the price goes up by that much. Maybe it comes down. It could. We've had years where they are forecasted, they're high in the fall, and then it's dropped in the spring. I, ju- I just but can't imagine just it going up by that much more, more, that it's not worth waiting the couple months and just kind of well, seeing what at happens. This point, at this point, what's if, if fertilizer prices are seven, eight, nine hundred dollars what's the difference if it's $1,000? You're still not going to... If you're not going to pay it seven, you're not going to pay it $1,000. Here's the deal. You can take it in the shorts now or you can take it in the shorts in three months. Well, at least in three months, there's a chance that it's different. Right. Well, and the guess. hard part is paying now, too, is they've you're you're putting your money out there for six months yep. and it's sitting... You know, it, a lot of this stuff we talked about on our supply chain episode, too, but it's just been very... It, it's not even the high prices. It's just the uncertainty. And I can see that in the farmers is... They do the math and they know, yeah, even with these high prices, it's going to be tight, but I'll be able to make it. But it's the, do I put my money out there? Do I stick my neck out there? And for how how long? And, you know, this we're talking six months from now and you got to try to decide what kind of inputs you're going to buy. It's we, just very difficult. We can be a completely different spot next spring when it comes to planting time. And so your money might be better off in your pocket, you know, rather than paying for all your fertilizer now and then decide next spring hey, commodity prices are, you know, the corn price drops, so we're not going to plant as much corn. Like, what? That's where I'm like, yeah, maybe waiting isn't such a bad... If you booked in August when it was still really cheap, fine. But at this point, if you haven't booked by now, it kind of... I'm not too excited and they about weren't letting you yeah. book in August for next right. year. No. It was, yeah. You had to take it. I snuck, a couple, I snuck a couple guys in for a little delayed, delayed take, but it was um, few and far between, and it wasn't a whole lot, so... All right, that'll do it for this week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks for having us, Matt. So this week we talked about cover crop termination. Have a plan for this spring and what you're going to do, especially if chemical gets hard to come by. In our spotlight, we talked about different hybrid tillage tools and how manufacturers are gearing equipment to be used in more than one situation. Our Ag History Minute was recognizing the connection between Veterans Day and agriculture. Cool beans was port plants are going to be allowed under a one-year trial to operate faster to get more supply to the market. That's corny was crop production costs 
creating a drop in farmer optimism. So thanks for listening, and as always, happy farming. <laughs>